he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I greet you in the name of Jesus Christ today. We're glad that you have chosen to join us for this week's sermon of the Cape Elizabeth Church of the Nazarene. God's Word is full of timeless truths that are relevant to our lives today. Here's this week's message. We're spending some time uh, over the next few weeks. And the Sons and Daughters Will Prophecy, a series uh, created uh, from the Minor Prophets. About We're going to go through a handful of them. Uh, prophets that oftentimes we don't get opportunity to read from or hear from very often. But they're always trying to speak into the lives of their people and their nation to remind them of the call God has placed on their life. And last week, we talked about the unending grace of God. When we talked about uh, from the prophet Hosea, we found indeed that God's grace often breaks in anew into old events, old words, old proclamations of judgment even. That grace often bursts through those judgments, to borrow biblical images, like new wine and old wineskins. Or to borrow a more an image that comes from Maine, like ice through frozen pipes. God's grace often likes to bust through old ways of looking at and perceiving uh, what God is doing. That we will be surprised that God's love and His grace wants to meet us precisely where we are and might lead us to a new understanding of God's grace. And, And we are about to read from the prophet Amos. And what we're going to read from today is one of those judgment passages. One of those passages where we're going to read this and be wondering, okay, how does God's grace burst through here? But uh, let's take a look at at Amos chapter 7. Amos chapter 7, verses 7 through 17. He says, this is what he showed me. The Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. And the Lord said, see, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel, and I will never again pass them by. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate. The sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. And I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to King Jeroboam of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the very center of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel must go into exile away from this land. And Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, go. Flee away to the land of Judah. Earn your bread there and prophecy there, but never again prophecy at Bethel. For it is the king's sanctuary. It is a temple of the kingdom. Then Amos answered Amaziah, I am no prophet, nor a prophet's son, but I'm a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore trees. And the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. Now therefore hear the word of the Lord. You say, Do not prophesy against Israel. Do not preach against the house of Isaac. Therefore thus says the Lord, Your wife shall become a prostitute in the city. Your sons and your daughters shall fall by the sword. Your land shall be parceled out by line, and you yourself 
die in unclean land, and Israel shall surely go into exile away from its land. I warned you, (laughs) this is one of those hard uh, prophetic words, one of those ones where uh, the word of judgment is coming down against the people of Israel. And right away he says, uh, I have set up a plumb line. And he says he has seen this. A plumb line, an old way of making sure that a wall built on the ground is perpendicular to the ground and isn't swaying one way or the other. Because if you hang it off the edge, it should fall straight down and then you have an idea. But if it's too close to the base or too far from the base, it lets you know that the building is not perpendicular, isn't plumb, as they might say. Isn't that right, Howard? Am I saying it right? All right, good. So like, i uh, got to ask my construction guy, make sure I'm getting this right. Me, I, I, I've hardly ever heard the line plumb line or even understood that kind of word. When I was growing up, the only phrase I heard was like, you're plumb crazy. Uh, <laughs> which, studying this makes me think, oh, well, that's what that means then. Okay, I just thought it meant very crazy, but it means not straying one way or the other. It's sure you're certified nuts. Like, that's what they're saying. Okay, okay, this makes sense. I haven't heard it since my childhood, so it must be a very old phrase. But nonetheless, I came to understand. So the Lord is saying, I've set up a measurement to see who, who you are what kind of people you are, to see whether you have wavered or whether or not you are set firmly in order for God to do something great and to build you up. I've set a plumb line. And he says, no longer am I going to pass them by. If you, if you read a different uh, passage, if you looked at maybe the NIV in your pew Bible, say, no longer will I spare them. And it's always the challenge of our translators to say things in the English that we most often use, even if we read from an older translation, go, I don't know what these words mean necessarily still. But this word, pass them by, could have just as easily been translated, I will no longer pass over them. And that word, if it sounds familiar, should. For the Passover is the celebration of when God's judgment, God's angel, as the book of Exodus says, passed over the people of God when the last plague hit Egypt before they escaped to go to the promised land. This meal we celebrate every week is is a meal celebrated with Jesus and His disciples at the Passover where we remember it is God's grace that passes over us so that we are not judged for being off, off center. And I don't know if it's off plumb, I don't know how to say that. But if, if you're not quite built the way that you should, if, you, if, if it is not the way that uh, God has declared. And so he's saying, I'm not going to pass over them anymore. There is no more grace here. This is a harsh word for the people of Israel. And so the prophet Amos is speaking to them, and is actually speaking to them before Hosea, even though Hosea came, comes first in our, in our lineup. He's speaking to them before the Assyrians take the Israelites away into exile, before they kind of brush them off. And so we find ourselves reading this and going, okay, these are harsh words. What do we do with them? On the one hand, we could try to explain them away as saying, well, these, this prophet is just using these words and just trying to highlight means by which we understand why they got exiled. Okay, they got exiled. God must have been mad with them. So he's just writing this down to to try to explain this. And that is a true historical approach. And on the one hand, I kind of like it because it allows me to just kind of say, well, such a negative portrayal of God 
It's just a product of bad theology. It's like Job's friends. The reason why bad things happen is because you did bad things. And so I can just say, okay, Amos is just trying to say Israel messed up. Now there's judgment. And then we can correct that bad theology with, you know, the grace of Hosea or Obadiah, of any of the number of other prophets, like with the grace uh, that we heard last week. But on the other hand, to read it that way and just kind of brush it aside kind of robs it of the authority that it was given by the people of God when Amos was speaking. And by the way, the scriptures and our New Testament authors read the prophets. That they understood that when Amos said these words, that there was truth to be heard and that God wanted to speak to us in the midst of harsh words like these judges. There's a reason why Amos is still in the scriptures. And this means, as we'll come to see through the other prophets that we'll talk about as well, that we always have to read this with an eye toward the grace that might break into such judgmental proclamations. But realizing that there is truth behind tough words. There is truth to be said in hard words. I think we know this. I think deep down we know that sometimes hard words need to be spoken. And when there's truth, we are hoping that even in the speaking of that truth, grace might burst forth. When a child is misbehaving in a way that's going to hurt themselves or somebody else, we'll say, no, and I mean it, now you're losing this privilege, and it's harsh. And it's like, wait, what? But we know the last thing we want is them thinking it's okay to hurt somebody else or to stick a fork in a socket or any number of other things. They're like, no, that is going to, uh, that's going to be damaging to you or somebody else. Harsh words. When someone is being taken advantage of and telling them that, that is hard. Particularly, I found it is hard when you're trying to tell somebody that and it's like their own adult children taking advantage of them. It's hard to say things like that because, uh, because they're like, no, no, I love this. That, that would never happen. When someone is ga- engaged in self-destructive behavior, doing something that you know it's not healthy for you, it's not healthy for anybody else, and you come alongside of them and you decide to tell them, hey, do you think this should really continue the way that it is? I'm worried about the way you're spending your evenings. I'm worried about the way in which you're carrying on. Is it destructive for you or anyone else? Sometimes those hard words need to be spoken because the truth, if given graciously, can make a world of difference. If you find that someone you know and care about is being cheated on, there is nothing harder to say than to say, I think your spouse is cheating on you. All of those hard words that you hope the truth of what is being said will stay with them. But we know the fear is that they're not going to believe me. They're not going to trust me. Instead, they're going to push me away. They're going to exile me. They're going to make sure that uh, I don't have any more part of their life. And that is precisely what is happening with Amos. He's saying to the church, and he's saying to the nation, the two were very uh, uh, pretty much led by the temple, so uh, I conflate the two often. He was saying to the people of God, uh, you have forsaken the way that God has called you to live, and now it is going to yield bad results. 
And when they hear this, the one who's in charge, the priest of the area, Amaziah says, "Uh uh-uh, I can't hear this. No one else wants to hear this either. In fact, he says to the king, these are the hard words he's saying. Do you want your people hearing this? Nobody wants to hear this. Let's get him out of here. And so he is, so the king says to Amos, why don't you go back to Judah? Why don't you go with people who think the same way you do? Why don't you go with people who want to hear the things you're saying? No one here wants to hear what you have to say. Go earn your money and your keep there. When he says earn your bread there, he's saying, don't worry, you'll get paid. People listen to you. Just go somewhere else to talk. It isn't happening here. But that is not who Amos is. He wasn't a prophet by trade. He wasn't a person who who was just trying to earn his keep in Israel. He was someone who just wanted to share with them the hard truth of God's call in their life. And so, when you hear what the king says to Amos, when he says, Seer, flee away from here. Earn your bread there. Don't prophesy at Bethel, this town Bethel. Go prophesy, uh, for it is the king's sanctuary. It is the temple of the kingdom. This word Bethel is a word that means literally the house of God. That, that, that first few letters, bet or Beth, means house. It is literally the house of God. Uh, the, the word uh, Bethlehem, where Jesus was born, literally means house of bread. Fitting. The way I remember that is we come to the table, we receive the bread, and Jesus Christ was born in the house of bread. And so that word means that. Uh, in this verse where Amaziah says to Amos, never again prophesy at the house of God at Bethel, for it's the king's sanctuary. It is the, and the word here that's often translated temple is literally Beth. For it is the house or the temple of the kingdom. It is the abode of the kingdom. But it's the same exact word. It's a synonym. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because in the play of words that you hear, if you hear that phrase, if we were, if we were to hear those words when it was first being spoken, if we were to put on like Hebrew translation for a moment, we would hear, no longer come to the house of God. It is the house of the kingdom. And we realize right off the bat that the king and this priest has turned their nation that was always understood to be instituted by and to be ruled by and under the leadership of God. And they have turned it into a kingdom about proclaiming and continuing on the status quo of those who are currently in, in charge. And whenever a nation that is supposed to be under God turns from faithfulness to God and instead faithfulness to its own interest and its own security, it transgresses against the very foundation and purpose it existed for in the first place. Again, when a nation that purports to be under God turns from faithfulness to God and instead commits itself wholly to its own interest and security for the sake of itself... It transgresses against the one who it had claimed was its foundation and the very purposes of its existence. We should keep that in mind. Whenever a nation claims such a status, claims to be under God, but yet its policies and procedures, whether they're economic or military or whatever, are against what Jesus would have us do. 
we recognize with this prophet, from the words of this prophet, that we are turning what was supposed to be something dedicated to God to dedicate to something entirely else and preserving something else. But Amos says to the king or to this priest, I am not a prophet. I'm a herdsman. I'm a dresser of sycamore trees. I'm just doing what I can to just eke out my living. A dresser of sycamore trees isn't someone who, uh, who, who plays pretend <laughs> with, with, with trees, but is someone who is trimming and, and working with uh, the fruit of the trees, the nuts of the trees, and just like making sure that it's going to grow and blossom and be able to yield more trees. It is someone who is taking care of them. And so he says, this is who I am. This is all I do. I'm not a prophet by trade. God has just put this word on my mouth and I want to share this with you so that you as a nation might come to recognize that God has staked a claim on your life. God has staked a claim on your purpose. And we are to live obediently to Him. Each of us, I hope we'll find in the words of the prophets, are called by God's Holy Spirit to speak God's grace and God's truth in our life, among those whom we are with. And even when it is hard to speak that truth, not judgmentally, not in a way that says, huh, I know, you don't, let me tell you, but in a way that hopes and invites to receive the grace of God. The call of the Christian is always to speak towards redemption, and this is ultimately what Amos is hoping for for his people, to warn of what will happen if you turn away. You know, here on the coast of Maine, we have lighthouses all over. A lighthouse is our, is our predominant image, for that logo that we use for our church. A lighthouse warns people away from the rocks. We never say to the lighthouse, how dare you be so harsh? How dare you say we're going to be dashed and die and we're going to fall apart? No, we just listen because we recognize how dangerous it is. We know we can actually die if we don't heed the warning of the lighthouse. And so again and again, we have to find our ways of speaking truth into the lives of those around us. I was having a conversation with, with my son, uh, with my eldest son earlier this week. He, he was telling me a story about, about somebody he, uh, he had known who, had, uh, who had, uh, was, was telling a story about what he was going to do next, but then ran into him years later, a year later, and uh, the story had changed. He said, I don't know. He, he, I don't know if he did that or not. He might have just been lying, and, and now he's got this new job, and it would have meant he had to lie on his application. I don't know, but you know, may, may, maybe he was just lying in person and wouldn't have lied on his application to get the new job. That is, who knows? I said, but you know what? If he's lying in person, he could be lying uh, on bigger things as well. Oftentimes, things start small. We make small exceptions in life. We steal in small ways, lie in small ways, cheat a little. We, we do little things. Getting advantages here, there, and everywhere. And before you know it, it's like, okay, something bigger comes along. Like, "Ah, it's just a continuation of it. Everything starts small to see what we can get away with. We use our lighthouse model for our logo. And we even say in our mission, in our bulletin, that we want to be a beacon of hope in our community. This is our calling. So in some ways, we know we want to speak out and share with our community and our world a hard truth about the life God has called us to live, but always to do so with grace. Because we recognize that we're not tasked 
to be loudspeaker people. We are tasked to be people who come alongside one another. Just as um, the Holy Spirit does. You know, uh, in the New Testament, Jesus calls uh, the Holy Spirit... um, Well, it's often translated... I'm going to keep using all kinds of different words for you. It's translated the comforter. The comforter has come. It always leads to great jokes in the wintertime. I need the the holy comforter to warm me up. But uh, uh, he calls him the comforter. But the word is paraclete. It, It is literally a word that means one who is called alongside of us. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He walks alongside us and goes with us in our life to guide us and to, and, and to lead us where we need to go. And as the Holy Spirit speaks into our life, when we find ourselves saying, okay, God, I'm going back into my world, going back into, uh, 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 into life to do the things that I'm called to do, to do the kind of things that are just simple, herdsman, dresser of sycamore type things. Holy Spirit is with us in those moments and calls us to be faithful and to speak God's truth. There is a word I want to share with you from a book. Uh, I copied it into my words. I, I left the book at home. I was going to bring it for you today. Uh, by a guy named Garrett Kaiser, who was a, um, a pastor, and this book is written about his, his first pastorate. And it's titled, A Dresser of Sycamore Trees, which is fitting for this passage. And in his chapter of the same title, He's talking about his understanding of being a dresser of sycamore trees. And one of the things he says is this. I am sometimes amazed, even alarmed, at the extent to which people will judge ministers by their preaching. And preaching by its rhetoric. To do so is to make the entirely spurious but nearly universal assumption that God is better served by a poet than by an accountant. It may be that the most eloquent sermons consist in the ways in which ordinary people bear pains in their hands and sides, their necks and backsides, in the daily crucifixion of being alive. I want my parish to see my Sunday preaching as little more than a classroom demonstration of this truth. I want them to understand that inasmuch as we are all carrying a cross, we are carrying a pulpit too, the best pulpit. I read those words and I find myself saying, yes, the best message about what God is doing and wants to do happens precisely as we are figuring out and navigating the pains that we bear in life and figuring out how we do that in a way together with one another and together in a way that invites those whom we, God has blessed to put in our path to say, and there is a God who is with me along the way and a God who wants to be with you along the way as well. And that we are all figuring out how we bear the cross of life together in a way that is faithful to what God desires and what God wants. That sometimes the best prophecies are precisely those given by people who are just herdsmen, dressers of sycamore trees, who just build houses, paint landscapes, do any number of things. Retire folk who just say, hey, I haven't called you in a while. Let me tell you, let's find out what God's doing with you. Love, love you sharing that story. Thank you, Brenda.
that God speaks to us in the daily experiences of life, and we find that uh, uh, He works alongside with us. It's why in this church and in most uh, mainstream uh, denominations, the church service ends with communion, ends with coming to the table. The climax of the sermon, I'm sorry, back up. The climax of the service is not supposed to be the sermon. Everything in worship is supposed to bring us to experiencing and putting ourselves before our Lord. The climax of the service is always coming to the table and being fed by the grace of God that we would know that our lives are to be lived in accordance with Him. The climax of the sermon isn't just the words that I say. That would be like Garrett Kyer said, to put all the emphasis on the poet. But the grace of God is found in each and every one of our lives as we receive what God has to offer. And we share that with the world. So it doesn't matter whether we are particularly good at saying it, as uh, Moses said, or if uh, we're just an accountant, as Garrett Kaiser said, uh, that we are all called to receive what God has for us and to share that grace with the world. And so in this word of Amos, when he says to Israel, look, I want to tell you what's going on and what's happening, where your life is leading you, where your country is going. But the whole point of it isn't so that he can run back to Judah and point his finger, which is what they think he's about. But he says, I want you to experience what God has in store for your life and to live obediently to that and see how indeed God will continue to bless and keep you. That we might be surprised indeed that even where truth has to be spoken, that God's grace reigns all the more. And it's my hope and it's my prayer today that as we get ready to come to the table, that we'll find ourselves doing so, yielding our lives in a way that says, God, here I am. This is my life. This is who I am. But yet his spirit is with us and we might be surprised at the ways in which our faithfulness to him does indeed become a prophetic word for the lives of those around us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this church. I thank you that you are continually working in our lives. That we don't have to pretend to have it all together. That we can at times be like, man, I might just be like the King Amos is speaking to here. I might have some things I need to work out. Or perhaps sometimes in our life we're like, man, I don't know if I'm ready to hear grace in my life. But yet, Lord, you are the one who keeps whispering. You are the one who keeps speaking truth and grace into our life. And it's my hope today that we'll just yield ourselves to you. That we'll just say everything I am is for you. And we would be surprised at the trajectory in which you will take us. That we will find indeed that there is grace and there is hope and there is a wonderful future. One devoid of the threats and the judgments of those around us. Thank you again, Lord for your Son, Jesus Christ. And as we get ready to come to the table, Heavenly Father, it is my prayer that we do so yielding ourselves to you. 
and recognizing that you indeed put words in the mouths of each and every one of us, that we would be your prophets in the land and in the places you have put us. Thank you again for your love and your grace. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. We hope this sermon has encouraged you with the gospel of Jesus. More sermons are available online at our website, capenazarene.org. May God bless you abundantly as you serve him today.